Welcome to the Second Renaissance podcast, where we decode the rebirth of human creativity in a technology-driven world. I'm Anders Sommenilsen, global futurist, author, and the co-creator of the Adobe CQ, the IQ test for your creative leadership, and your host for the Second Renaissance. So I'm sitting here with Elise Piosh Balzac. Welcome to the Second Renaissance. Thank you so much for having me. Great to have you on the show. And uh, and as you can probably hear already, uh, you've got a wonderful Australian French lilt to to your accent. Yeah, I would say French Australian. French Australian, French Australian, <laughs> it's Australian more French. French. Oh, because yeah. yeah, I can hear it so much. But yeah, I'm um, French background. Yeah. And I'm Swedish Australian or Australian Swedish, yeah. depending on who. Who's doing better at the Winter Olympics? <laughs> so uh, we we can shift these things Perfect. around a little bit. Yeah, as it suits. <laughs> yeah, welcome back to Australia, I should say as well. Yeah. Um, yeah. You've uh, you've had this sort of globe trotting life mm-hmm. where you've spent a lot of time, obviously, in your home country of, of France, yeah. um, and then uh, you moved by the sounds of it to mm-hmm. Australia in around two thousand and four. Yeah. After yes. after leaving. Paris. Hermes. Yes, and exactly. Paris, yeah. Hermes, yeah, yeah. What, what brought you to Australia, first of all? Um, well, I was working for Hermes for many, many years, fresh out of uh, fashion school in Paris. That was my first uh, official role in the fashion world and in one of the most honorable um, house, I would say. And after three, four years dealing with these exceptional products, exceptional designers at the time martin margiela was designing so he, wow. and he was a proper yep. hero of mine uh, for his very uh, intellectual fashion and then yeah after so many years being there in what i felt like a golden tower i really had this urge to set myself free from that golden cage and just travel the world to see if really we were doing the best product with the best message in the best way and um, yes, yeah, so I took a, a, a flight to Melbourne in 2004 and what I thought would be a three-month adventure just to change my perspective on, on France and luxury and all of that became a proper love affair with Australia as a whole. And then uh, three months later, my uh, plane took off without me in it. And I always think of that empty uh, seat in that plane that left. So a part of me, I think, went back to France and but the better of me stayed in Australia, yeah. and that's been um, that was 16, 17 years ago actually this year. Wow. Yeah. And then um, you spent several years in Australia as a mm-hmm. as a fashion buyer, yeah. from what I understand. That's right. Yes. Yeah. 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 That was brilliant because by exporting myself, that allowed me to actually uh, try my chance in a different role because at Hermes I was in the public relation department looking after all the fashion show, the dossier de presse or the press release and the voice of the brand. But I was very interested in the product itself. So by being a fashion buyer, um, I could get closer to my passion, which is a numeric passion. I love analytical. I love analyzing what creativity. And then, but I also have that immense imagination on the other side of the brain. So as a buyer, I was using both every day. So it felt like the perfect role for me. But I don't think that if I had stayed in France, I would have had such a logical progression between PR and buying. But by moving country, that really started like fresh for me. And just my background and my enthusiasm was enough to for them to give me a chance. And I will, I think that's a typical to Australia actually to give people a chance, even if um, I didn't have experience in the buying world. Although I had a degree in it, I didn't mm. have experience in it, but they still gave me a chance. So, I yeah, I was a buyer and, and traveling the world for. Uh, for about six years, um, and then going back to France twice a year, which was very pleasant to reconnect with my culture, and um, and that that stopped uh, seven years ago now. And it's and it's a culture mm-hmm. as you combine the kind of you know the art and the science, I guess, of of business and creativity. Mm-hmm. Sounds like there's a you know data based approach to your own creativity. But essentially, this eventually landed in in the you know the birth or the sort of embryonic stages of what is now Maison 
Balzac, Balzac which is of course your, your your homeware brand. No, no you're right. Actually. And we and we're surrounded here we by <laughs> beautiful Maison Balzac uh, <laughs> glassware, for colorful. example. Um, yes, yeah. yeah, from the wonderful store, one of your retail partners, yes. Studio yeah. by Elias. Oh, yeah. Yes, beautiful. Yeah, so proud to be actually referenced by such amazing creative themselves because they put their own vision on, on my brand every time. And so it's super exciting to see how they treat it. Yeah. And so, so just explore, I mean, I'm, I'm always fascinated in, in, you know, in people who, you know, picked up, um, picked up sticks as they would say in, mm -hmm. um, in the, in the cricket world or in the, in, in the Commonwealth and, uh, you know, ventured um to the other side of the world and certainly leaving one's country behind um is apparently from from an entrepreneurial and business school perspective one of the best predictors of of, of entrepreneurship because it's one of the riskiest things we can yeah. do to, to leave our family behind leave you know the smells the scents the feelings the sounds of our you know mm -hmm. of where we grew up but it seems with the birth of maison balzac that you've taken a lot of the best of france brought it out to Australia. Now, of course, you're, you're exporting all over the world. Yeah, that's true. Well, um, that really resonates with me, what you just said, because um, I feel like we all have a certain familiarity with the background that is linked to our upbringing. I'm sure for you in Sweden, there are certain light and smells and insects, noises that to you, it's like second nature. It's become familiar. And um, it feels like in my life, every time things become a bit too familiar, I need to sort of, uh, put myself into a risky position again and it seems to be my character my personality but I never thought that was me because I've always been quite reserved and shy but I've got that drive behind me that pushed me to go outside of my comfort zone continuously but what's funny is that then when I move on I recreate that because you can't help you know as part of life every day you reconnect with your new familiarity which is let's say you know around here is the sound of the crickets and um, the sound of cockatoos and the kookaburra that's my new familiarity but which is of course the the local area yeah, here of, around of sydney yeah and the of Pit avalon beach exactly. alvina Pan bay beach. pitwater exactly yeah so that's my new familiar, and um, but that one seems to be something that I finally found a huge resonance with, and so I'm not ready to move on anytime soon. Good, we've still got you here for a little <laughs> you bit. Do, yeah. So you, you like, I'm always curious to see, and, I, and just like as you're talking about childhood and, and nature, and you know, like I literally have, I think some, you know, synapses like shooting off information and, and memories in my brain yeah. because. Uh, you know, I, I can still remember the, you know, the the, the smell um, of, you know, the pine forests in Sweden. I think even more strongly now that I'm wow. a father as well, yeah. and 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 how they smell on a sunny day, and they're, oh. they're very rare in Swedish summer, but when they do oh, exist, yeah. just smelling the pine cones under, um, the under the heat, and you know, walking up this little what seemed then an eternal sort of ascent up a country road into this forest that is very close to where my grandparents had a little summer house mm. that those yeah. memories are just like firing Brave. Yeah. yeah and i guess this is you know i guess also one of one of the senses that you you know you create for is yeah. is our sense of of yeah. smell which i understand is one of the the strongest yes uh, in, the, in the human yeah well I guess um, when I was uh, seven, eight years ago, I had been in Australia for eight years and France was starting to really call, call me. It, it, I had this longing for all these familiar natural elements. And then I decided to recreate them here through the medium of wax and perfume. I wanted to stay in Australia because I feel this is my happy place, but I still had that need to surround myself with the familiar perfumes and retell my childhood and my upbringing that I had through five fragrances. It started like that. And it was a typical Sunday when I was eight years old, which would start in the morning with a freshly orange juice by my mom. So the first candle was Le Soleil with orange blossoms mm. in it. And then the second one was uh, the smell of a church because my grandmother was very religious. She would take me to church every Sunday morning. So like the smell of snuffed candles and humidity and cold stones. So that was l'église. And then um, after lunch, 
which is always huge on a Sunday in France. We had to go and have a big walk to sort of digest the food. So the third candle was called Le Bois, the forest, and it recreated all the smell of the forest that I think mm. you're talking about, so in Sweden. And then in the afternoon, actually end of day, I would cross my garden to go into my grandmother's garden, which was full of roses. That was the fourth candle called La Rose. And then I would head to my grandmother's because she would pour me a lavender bath every Sunday evening. And so the fifth candle was the lavender, Le Sud. And these five typical moments of a Sunday, it made me feel so happy to be able to recreate them, but also to share them with people for them to create their own memories with it. And just as an example, I have a friend who on the day on her wedding, she picked Le Sud, the lavender one for her wedding. So that become her wedding memory. And so for the next 80 years, that will be her memory. So I love, you know, you, you are just as a, I think as a creator, you just provoke a little moment that then people catch and make their own. And so this is what I love doing. It's like gifting a starting point for people to create their own memories. Wow. Mm. So, I mean, there seems to be almost this, you know, this creative spark and just thinking about, a, mm. you know, the sort of the cadence of a, of a Sunday from, yeah. from when you were eight yeah. that then you know, several years later, actually oh, sort of yeah. was the embryonic stage of exactly. the first essences yeah, that you created. Yeah, years later, it was yeah. still vivid in my mind. So you're right when you say that that sense of smell is so potent and sometimes it brings you back to places that you don't even know where they are, but your brain knows and it makes you look for it. And that mm. the inquisition as well is very fascinating, I find. Wow. Yeah. I mean, it's um, it's funny because when we think about creativity or creative expression, innovation, you know, entrepreneurship is so often about, you know, do something totally new. Yep. Whereas what I'm kind of hearing is that mm -hmm. it's the, you know, the it's the. It's the nostalgia. Yeah. yeah. It's the echo of your yep. childhood in a yep. sense that. Completely. It's mm. going backwards, but with a very fresh outlook because the packaging are fun. It's very playful. But you're right, it's based on all that past that I have accumulated. It's memories there that I really want to um, sh share, recreate, bring back. And then also tell my daughter, who is seven, actually. And I continuously think about what is she building up now that she will use as an adult? What is she going to make of it? So her, um, her experiences um, now... Mm -hmm. You guys having moved back again yeah. from from the south of France, and we might might talk about that creative chapter of your life as well. But um, what are what are the kind of smells and you know sounds and kinesthetic associations or influences mm -hmm. that you think might shape her? Well, um, it's funny because she's born at the same time as Maison Balzac, and so she grew up with all this smell, and she can pick any uh, candle of my range, and she recognizes who they are. And she gives this to friend and says, smell this. So from a very early age, I think she's been bathing in, in my own fragrance. But also my husband and I, we're extremely close to nature. So we always have either a herb garden or we go for a bushwalk and we always crush leaves and smell. And I really want to bring her awareness on all of that because, you know, you can go on a walk and not notice anything or you could go on a walk and notice everything. So that's what we want her to to learn is to actually look, listen, um, and smell. Um, and I remember, because in a private, uh, previous life, I was a, a primary school teacher, and we went on an excursion as teachers with very young kids. They were five. And we all sat down in a forest, and the exercise was to actually identify three noises that were, one was very far, and one was very close, and one was just one we could hear on top of that. And every time I go out, I'll try to focus on at least three noises. And there is always more than that. But just, you know, to bring you the present at that very moment to really detect and be careful to what surrounds you, I think she'll be very good at that because if you taught this from a very early age. So I guess her perfumes and her scent and umbrian of creativity are the one that we have here at the moment around Sydney and the water. And when we were in France for two years, it was my parents' garden and the little fresh, you know, cherry tomatoes that he was picking. And when we're scaling a fish as well, that smell of the guts and the slimy skin and anything animal or, or fauna or flora relating is definitely part of the childhood, I think. 
And so I'm curious then um, when, um, so you, you, you created Maison Balzac um, and, uh, and at the same time something was pulling you back towards yeah. your childhood in, in the south of France in, in, in Béziers yeah. um, and, uh, and you guys had built up something pretty amazing mm. here, here in Australia. I have yeah. to yeah. share you know, a quick anecdote, which is that um, this beautiful Liglise or uh, mm-hmm. church that you and Pablo, yes. Pablo yes. Uh, Chapel, your, your husband, took over as a massive renovation yep. project um, was where um, many years ago, I think back in 2014 or 2015, uh, we did a fashion shoot for for my mother's Stockholm-based menswear store because mm-hmm. we just thought it was the perfect setting. I bought a bunch of clothes out from, from her shop in um, in Sweden with two, in two big suitcases because the, mm-hmm. the seasons just worked. It's yep. good to shoot in Australia and then uh, get the shots early. Uh, and that was uh, that was a a huge project, you know. Two creatives, both of you are, yeah. you know, mm-hmm. entrepreneurs and innovators in your own right. And um, you created, you know, you yeah, you created this uh, um, place where I've been told that many of your friends have since got gotten engaged, exactly. etc. And, yeah. and then um, at one stage, you you guys kind of went, let's again pick up sticks and uh, yeah. and go back to France. That's true. Yeah. That. That was our first home together. We it took nine years to bring it to a level that we we felt was comfortable, and then that's when I felt like I needed to go back to France for a few years because the church was finished. Maison Balzac was doing very well, but uh, I I was missing my family and Lulu, our daughter, was four, and I felt like if she didn't have that injection of Frenchness inside her at that age she wouldn't remember it, it wouldn't be part of her growing up. So we sold the church and that was, the I, I cried so much, Pablo mm. also cried, but somehow it felt like the right thing to do as well, to move forward. And then, so for two years, we went back to France and we bought a new home in France that again needed a lot of love. So we took two years to bring it to a, a level as well that was, that house was spectacular to start with, but was a bit tired. And then after two years, we felt, okay, that one is finished. And actually, where are we the happiest? Now we had a reason to compare because we had been living in the two countries together as a family. And the answer was obvious. It was Australia. So mm. we got back and that was a year and a half ago. And now we got a new home. That's the third one we have, um, third chapter. Third renaissance for us. Yes, third renaissance, <laughs> yes. And yes, early stages, but really, really looking forward to the future in this um, new period of our life. Now, I mean, it seems like um, you and Pablo tend to take on these, you know, renovation mm-hmm. projects, which, you know, our, our generation gets um, – Oftentimes I hear from parents or grandparents, mm-hmm. et cetera, they say, you know, we used to, you know, take on renovation yeah. projects and do it yourself and now no one does it. But you guys kind of proved them wrong. Yeah. Um, and I know that, um, I mean, we both share this love for, for, for pit water yeah. and, 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 on, yeah. and on New Year's Day, um, have fond memories of you and, and, and Pablo and Lulu picking us up to, to go back. Um, yeah to to uh for a little bit of a spin on yeah. pit water in, in in a boat you guys yeah, are also renovating yeah uh which is an old ferry from cockatoo island That's right 1927 yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. so you guys are always tinkering and then you know yeah. is, is 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 there a sort of a cadence to you know giving something a renaissance or a, you know revival and then you know moving on or or, or closing that chapter or is there what do you think it is about the sort of, you know, giving everything your yeah. love for a certain period of time and then kind of going, actually, we brought that to sort of perfection. Someone yeah. else gets to take that on. Mm. What, what's the, what are the feelings and thoughts that go into that? Yeah, I think um, it comes down a lot to Pablo, who is the driving force of all these projects. Because so Pablo is an industrial designer. So he's got that mindset that he understands how things work mechanically. Um, and you know how you were saying that to, that technology can help people being creative. In the case of Pablo, he knows what tool can get him to the exact result that we need to. And when he doesn't know, he, he goes online and finds the answers. 
So there is nothing too difficult for him. He knows that he can do anything. And when he was fresh out of um, industrial design school, graduated, his final year project he, was to build the first solar panel scooter in the world. Because he's, um, he's a bit of a hippie just at heart, like he doesn't look like a hippie, but he really wants to save the planet and he's really angry at the amount of waste we are creating. While there are so many old beauties that exist that only need a bit of restoration to be perfectly functioning again, and, it, and in most times function better than newer version of them. And that's why the ferry came about, 1927 original Cockatoo Island ferry that was taking six workers a day from the Sydney harbour to the other side to Cockatoo Island to build Cockatoo Island. Before that, we had a Halverson boundary that was just an empty shell and Pablo researched and researched to bring back the inside identical to what it used to be. The church as well was 1880. The bell had been stolen, so he tracked down the original bell and we had it recasted, you know, to the original. Um, so we love things, even with cars, you know, he's, he's, he loves Jaguar because they build so well, these engines, they just never die. And inside the design as well of the car is beautiful. And in a way, he prefers to drive a Jaguar, even if it uses a lot of petrol, rather than having a manufacturer making a new car that takes a considerable amount of energy and time and, you know, waste mm. to build new cars. So that cycle of life. And as you said, because he's got that talent to get something from the brink of sinking or being crushed mm -hmm. to being used again and loved by a family, once this is done, he loves giving the keys of this to someone who's going to continue keeping it to that level. But these people might not have had the skills to bring it, you know, from where it was to where it is now. So we love just passing on this project. And funny enough, every time we sell these things, they stay with us. Like, I feel like I still own the church. I still own the French house. I still own Bindury mm. because you throw so much of your love and you know that you've helped something continue life in the future. And sometimes, most times we find like-minded people. We meet and sometimes they become friends, the new owners, because we share that same passion for appreciation of an old thing that's become new and beautiful again. And I think, I mean, even even the term... Renaissance yeah. stands for rebirth or yeah. revival. Mm -hmm. And even if we, you know, we cast our minds or our forebears' minds back to, you know, the, the, the dark ages yeah, the or the or the black century. plague yeah. Yeah. that was the precursor to the to the birth of the rebirth. Yes. Um, you know, Petrarch and other thinkers mm -hmm. at the time rediscovered mm -hmm. all of these old texts, ancient texts, and they mm -hmm. sort of said, Hey, we were more advanced a few hundred few thousand exactly. years ago exactly. let's actually use it to to stage a rebirth mm -hmm. of the art and sciences and yeah. um creative thought etc and mm -hmm. so it seems like you guys are sort of on a yeah. similar path exactly. in terms of because you know when you think of renaissance um it, it most time it's seen as an advance you know from dark age to new age and sort of modernity but also really at the bottom of Renaissance was, I mean, at the, the roots of Renaissance was that inspiration from the antique world, antiquity, mm. antiquity, how do you mm. say the, you know, the Greek and the Romans, how they were doing things. And it was that nostalgia from the past that helped them and lead them into a new future. So you're right. It's just, yeah. That's, yeah. And it's this sort of connection of past, yeah. present and, yeah. and, and future. Yeah. And, yeah. and I think, and it's a wonderful statement in terms of sustainability as well, that, oh, you yeah. know, we can always upcycle, yeah. recycle everything mm -hmm. and repurpose yeah. things Absolutely. as well. Yeah. I'm curious, your, your surname, mm -hmm. Balzac, yeah. um, and, and which is, of course, also the name of, of, of your homewares yes. brand. It's yes. also something that is an, sort of an ode to tradition and, mm -hmm. and your own grandparents yeah. from, from what I understand. Yeah, exactly. So uh, my mom is called Nadine Balzac. Her parents were Janine and André Balzac and so on. Um, and I find it's, it's such a venerable name to start with because it's uh, Honoré de Balzac was a very famous French writer that uh, was born in 1799 
and died in 1850, and he had a massive influence on the French literature of the 19th century. So when you carry that name, you know, you always people ask, are you connected, are you related? And um, we actually had a desk that belonged to the Balzac original family in a letter as well that said that we belong to the family. And I've looked at all the genealogy. Uh, the tree, the gene, how do you say in, in English, genealogy? Yeah, yeah, the I understand. The family, the, yeah, tree. the family tree, yes. <laughs> and um, yeah. that it blocks at a certain point, so there is no official connection. But somehow, of um, like my my mum has always won poetry, um, you know, prizes, and I've always had this thing for words as well, and for stories, for telling stories. And somehow, you know, you make your own reality sometimes, and I feel like carrying that name made me uh, want to or, or made me very uh, I wanted that name I wanted to make that name mm. proud of me yeah and so I, I've always loved telling stories um, writing imaginary friends and and so I think with my brand it's the first time it's a massive playground to imagine values and future and a whole story that I can bring to life and yeah and share so I mean, s storytelling and, and, and provenance and mm. you know family business and I, yes. I grew up in one can can be really kind of you know powerful. Mm. How do you find? I mean, you you sort of you know you spend a lot of time in the you know in the aesthetic, in the fashion yeah. industries, etc. Mm -hmm. What 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 role has you know stories and the capturing of people's imaginations in Australia and, and around the world? Mm -hmm. What you know, what role does story play in terms of your products and Branding. why people are, yeah. you know, I think, attractive? Yeah, story is everything as long as it's genuine. Um, and I learned this at Hermes because the brand started in 1827 by the Hermes family. And it's always been an evolution based on their love of horses to start with. So they were making saddle, but then the evolution from horse to cars meant that the people who used to buy saddles from them now were driving cars and they needed more leather gloves to drive the cars, scarf to protect their neck. And that's how all their category of products started, came about because there was a proper need and they were following their customers' needs. Mm. Uh, but now, you, uh, fast forward 2000, 2004, when I was in the company, every single of these uh, product was still in existence and had a genuine history and a genuine uh, relevance to the brand. So when, it, um, when I started to imagine what my brand would be, I wanted to have that same kind of grounding into the reality, which is, yes, with this brand, I'm only talking about the memories I have from my grandparents, Janine and André Balzac. I was with them all the time. They had a beautiful interior. It was, it's not because they were wealthy, but they had a sense of balance, a sense of um, aesthetic as well that I really want to recreate. So that story is mine. It's a true one. Mm. And also I believe that in the future, as my business evolves, it's really easy to dig into that to stay consistent, to have sort of a highway of possibilities that always relate back to your real story. Mm. So it's absolutely everything. I mean, I find, I find both of those narratives really interesting. And I, I guess there's always this sense in, um, you know, when people talk about innovation and entrepreneurship and agility and, you know, adapting with the times, etc. Yeah. people oftentimes go, you know, um, you know, if we just asked, you know, people back in the 1910s, 1920s, you know, what would you like, you know, in terms of, you know, the future of transport, mm -hmm. people would have said, you know, I just want a faster horse. Yeah, exactly. But then, you know, the the industrial designers of the era, mm -hmm. including Ford, et cetera, went, no, we're, you know, we're creating something, yep. you know, paradigmatically different. And, and then as a result of that, people also kind of go, you know, People that were in the, you know, horse buggy mm -hmm. or buggy whip, mm -hmm. they were producing buggy whips. You know, they had a really tough time, you know, adapting. But your story there from Hermes is that they went, okay, you know, saddle making might not be the thing, but yeah. 
we can take the skills we have in that sort of artisanal space and 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 innovate with with the times Absolutely. nonetheless. And, and and I guess the equestrian part mm-hmm. of the of the brand still carries on it even does. in the way that we experience it today. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. But I think adaptability, flexibility and really the finger of, of on the pulse is the key to making sure your business has got a future. And just as an anecdote as well, I don't know if you know, but the orange color of the Hermes boxes, which is so emblematic and they wouldn't change it for anything in the world, only came about because during the Second World War, they had to place a new order for boxes and the orange paper ran out and there was nowhere to get orange paper anymore. Sorry, the brown, because their color was brown. It was brown boxes. And then the only color left in stock in the shop during war was orange. And they said, look, okay, we'll take orange then. So it wasn't intentional, but they also accepted the change. They went with it and it actually became a strength. That's a very good lesson as well. There you go. Now, um, my wife, Nicole, who you know well, um, one of her least favorite colors is is orange i shouldn't yeah. say this given this, this you know <laughs> there's hues it's yellow it okay yellow all right there you go <laughs> she's the aesthetic one not me um but orange um you know i, I like orange i think it's a, it's a really strong color and uh but anything that's orange in our home seems mm. to end up in the pantry <laughs> but i think if there was an you know an hermes box maybe yes. she would make an exception that's, it, that's uh, the power <laughs> of that color right with that brand association mm. they didn't want it either you know they didn't want orange yeah. but they had to and then it became that thing there you go that's mm-hmm. a powerful story and so and so your grandparents yes. um they were in the uh the scent business as well if i understand correctly or they were they had a perfumery is that right yeah so my grandmother janine she decided to have a perfumery one day with Mm. my mum. so it was a mother-daughter affair she opened in agde which was a small fishing village and she was Mm. the first independent boutique in france to have the license to sell the chanel perfumes and in the evening, my grandmother was obsessed with fragrance and perfume and beauty. She was also a beautician and she had something in her hand that when she did a facial to you, you walked away, you were uh, glowing. It was a skill she had. But so her passion was perfume. So she had the, all these books explaining what each major perfume olfactive pyramid was, the top notes, the middle notes, the base notes, how it was created. And when I was going to her home and sleeping over at her house in the evening, instead of having a children's book, every evening she would read me a page of that perfumery book. So I knew all about Chanel Number no. 5, all the Chalimar Guerlain. And to me, they were stories. And I could picture in my head, you know, the lemons and the mint and the ginger. And if I didn't know an ingredient, she would tell me. But I didn't make anything of it at the time. But then when at 36, you end up building your own fragrance house and company, and you don't know where it comes from, you just have to look back and you've got these little signs mm. spread out that you, when you make sense of it, it, it was obvious that I would do that. Um, now now it's crystal clear, you know. <laughs> I think that's... They were handing on her. like the code of, <laughs> you know, entrepreneurship. That was and, my training, um, yeah. And a beautiful marrying of, again, I guess, you know, science and chemistry yeah. and, uh, and artisan ship as well um i mean there seems to be um and i think for you know for any successful business these days that you you know you can't just be about the the creativity or Mm -hmm. the you know the the aesthetics um um without some bases in you know there can't just be the right brain without the left brain and not just the left brain without the right brain Mm -hmm. um and it seems to be something that you know very is very true to to both you and 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 pablo and what you guys co-create but also what you do in in maison balzac um how have you seen um both i guess the marrying of your your mathematical and logical brain sort of marry up with um the aesthetic and the design aspects during the pandemic yeah. when you know the world freaked mm-hmm. out um mm-hmm. people started spending more time at home yeah. um did you guys have to change a lot or did you guys see it as an opportunity that hey people might you know uh start 
actually investing more in their, you know, in their mm. personal abodes, in their, you know, in their private yeah. moats, etc. Yeah. Well, look at the beginning when it started in March. We both got scared, I think, like the entire world. Uh, because for about two weeks, there was this floating moment that we had no idea what tomorrow would be made of. So that was the scary moment. But but during that moment, we both realized that if ever we had built so far was failing, if Maison Balzac had to shut down, if um, Pablo work, you know, as an industrial designer had to stop, if we had to sell the homes, we were completely ready to take on any challenges that this would present. And we knew that we could recycle ourselves in any field, any time. We felt very agile, very confident because we had proven to ourselves that we could do these things already. So then from fear became that sense of uh, letting go and accepting what's coming our way. And we were very open to to change again. But I guess because our personality is not scared of change, we very quickly realized that it wasn't that scary. <laughs> so I'm just curious. I mean, yeah. so prior to that sort yeah. of acceptance or that, mm-hmm. you know, that spark of, yeah. hey, we can do this. Yeah. And, you know, your track record had shown that yes. you, you could pivot and that you mm-hmm. were agile Adapt, and, and yeah. you know, risk appetite. Mm-hmm. Was there was was there a dark hour? Was there a yeah. a time around a dinner conversation where you're like, oh my god, what's gonna be? You know, Completely, what's gonna I, we didn't discuss it. So I know my dark hour was about two days when at work I realized I was looking at my team and I thought, wow, I really enjoy working with you, but this is the end. That was all in my head, and that sense of like, you know, when it's like when you pull the plug in the bath and the water goes out, I felt like my whole body was just emptying with everything I had built so far, all my hope and also almost a shame because, you know, I hired them and I probably couldn't give them a future. So that was a panic moment, mm-hmm. but I didn't share it with Pablo. I think unless really things seriously hit the fan, we don't actually panic <laughs> or we don't share mm. that panic mode and he Pablo is quite a cold-headed person he's he's a rock like he can deal with so much so I don't know if he had that moment actually like I did of emptiness <laughs> yeah yeah, um, yeah I I don't know but uh after these two weeks basically um we started taking turn in the office because we didn't want to be together at the same time mm. and um after two weeks it became obvious that we had to go to work at the same time because the amount of online sales that came through was insane it feels like people realizing that they had they were stuck at home they still had a little bit of money Uh, they didn't want to spend it on big things but they wanted to have little things that could make their everyday a bit more pleasant that was Maison Balzac. That's what we offer. It's just a carafe here and there, a little bit of incense, a little bit of fun. And then, so I guess after a month or two, we understood that that pandemic was actually an incredible opportunity for us. But then kicked in the shame of that situation because that success, I understood very quickly, was pretty exceptional. And all our friends around us had very different experience where mm-hmm. they had to close business down and they were relying on services more than products. So that was finished. Mm-hmm. And um, so I couldn't share actually that success and that happiness. And yeah, just, so I talk, couldn't, yeah. talk us through the, the, that, yeah. no, that notion of shame. Yeah. So doing well while yeah. I know things are looking shithouse for other uh, (laughs) i think um it might be a french thing as well that there is a lot of suspicion about success in france i don't know if they realize that success usually goes hand in hand with a lot of hard work Mm. and a lot of risk because you know i invested my own money uh, Mm. all the money i make i reinvest in the in the in the brand so it's not like I'm I'm building my wealth. I'm literally building more product and more brand awareness. So that success I felt was um it wasn't the right time to be successful, although it it it's literally, you know, the business doubled in size in the worst period that the world has known in history mm, at mm. least in this century. Yeah. Yeah. And but now I've come to terms with that. And I think that um, I've always felt like I was an extremely lucky person, that I've got a lucky star that followed me everywhere. Mm. And I still believe there is luck sprinkled along the way of my path. 
at all time. Mm. Uh, but I also realized that every day as a business owner um, and as an entrepreneur, you have to take a million decisions a second. And you don't even realize you do. You know, when you answer an email, yes, no. When you sign off on a color, yes or no, or a shade or volume of orders, the price, the negotiation, all of that. So this addition of little decision that you don't realize you make lead you where you are exactly mm. at that moment. So yes, there is luck. Yes, there is that urge for people to decorate their home. But I had the right product, you know, the right. It's really hard for me to say this to you because to take, to acknowledge that maybe I've done something right is very difficult. I really believe it's a lot of luck and a lot of uh, coincidence. And I mean, certainly it sounds like there's, you know, there's a, obviously a lot of empathy with, you know, friends yeah. and, and yes. relatives and, and, and people in the greater community yeah. who've been, who've been doing it really, really oh, tough. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. And at the same time, I wonder if growing up in Europe as well, you know, there's even these words right in the English language of yeah. like profiteering, oh, you know, yeah. Yeah. and I'm not accusing no, you of no, profiteering, but, but from, from the, you know, from the world wars, etc. I wonder if there's something cultural in Europe about yeah. that. Oh, yeah. How, how, do you think if you guys were still living in the south mm -hmm. of France, for example, do you think your, you know, your sense of entrepreneurship or, yeah. you know, seizing opportunity, would yeah. it have looked different at all, do you think? Completely different. When I had the idea of Maison Balzac seven years ago, I told my parents and my best friends that were still in France, and they said, why would you make a ca another candle? Do you know how many candle brands there are in the world? And they were like, don't do it. That was their advice. And then I would shut down the computer um, and then go on and say, share that same idea with my Australian friends. All of them were like, do it. And what can we do to help you? Yeah. In France, it's don't do it and don't even ask for help because we, mm. there is no future. And here was the exact opposite. And I think that pushed me to do it because I knew I had people who believed it, who believed in me and yeah. said that I could do it. And I, you can only go on with your projects when it's like that. And so when it started to be successful... My parents would say, we have no idea why it's successful. We still don't understand. Like, it doesn't make sense to us. And it's for, you know. And <laughs> Thanks, mom get, and dad. I know. Yeah. But it forces you to be humble at all time mm. as well and to have your feet really on the ground. And I think it's five years into the business that my dad one day sent me an email and he said, I understand now. But it took him five years to understand that my concept as a brand was different from the others and I had something to say that mm. was personal. Mm. Um, so I wouldn't have started Maison Balzac if I had been in France. When we returned to France and I was explaining what I was doing, people wouldn't take me seriously because what is a candle and glassware brand? Mm. So I felt it again and I thought I need to escape this country, otherwise they're actually going to diminish even my self-confidence for what I'm doing. But if you are in a country like Australia, surrounded by very positive people that carry you, then you're flying. Mm. And there's a phrase that I remember Nicole bringing back mm. from uh, an encounter with you, I think a business breakfast at one stage yeah. Um, yeah. where she started talking about the menos, uh, which I think is uh, the French cultural yes, sense of non. Me, non, yeah, me non, which, which essentially is, means no, but no. But no. The answer to every question. Mais non. Yeah. Whereas in Australia, it's. Mais oui. Mais oui. But yes. Yeah. And you know, it's really funny because at school also, Lulu comes back some days and on her hand, she's got a little sticker with a star saying, Great effort today. And in France, as a kid, they only focus on what you've done bad on the day. And in Australia, they focus on what you've done good that day. And especially because she's struggled reading. But in reading, every time she can read a sentence while the others have read the book, they'll be like, well done, Lulu. Mm. Instead, in France, it would be, but the others have read the book. So, you know, it's that highlight on what's wrong. Just all your life, that's what you focus on. That's what you train to look mm. at. But here you train to look at what you've done well. And that's yeah. why I want Lulu to grow up here. So much more of an you know an affirmative emphasis on success mm. and i guess building strength strength um, and confidence yeah 
Whereas, Completely. you know, it's it's been said too that, you know, if you spend your life always focusing on, you know, your weak yeah, on the weaknesses or yeah. your blind spots, then yeah. you'll be, and you focus on always improving those, mm-hmm. then you'll be, you know, decent at stuff you weren't That's very true. good at from the beginning. But if you can actually affirm and polish the things, you know, your yeah. natural gifts. Completely. Mm-hmm. And I think by creating Maison Balzac, it's like a therapy. It's my own therapy to um, to prove to myself that I had qualities and that people respond to it positively. Every time we've got a new store or a new online sale or a new interview, like, you know, for me to be here, that you're interested in what I have to say, Maison Barzac has taught me that that was true. <laughs> yeah. Before that, I would have never believed because I grew up in that French environment. Mm. And yet there's so many great parts of your French heritage that you, and, and influences that you bring yeah. but then there's almost like the you know the entrepreneurship yes, and that spirit that's not, yeah. is partly from, from this point. from the from the antipodes here in <laughs> here in Australia yeah. yeah and the fact that I'm French as well I think is a bonus like it's a like a positive prerequisite every time I meet someone you know there is that beautiful conception of how glorious France is, and and I'm actually very proud to be French. I think um, in our education, the content is really good. So we've got a broad culture, we touch on so much, and there is a sense of style as well that Mm -hmm. is very French. Things are a bit smaller. That's the biggest difference I find between Australia and France in terms of taste. Mm -hmm. Things are a bit more petite, elegant, delicate, Mm -hmm. small attention to detail, um, yeah, in the sense of colors, shape, and a way of thinking creatively that I'm very proud to have inherited. Mm. Uh, and that's why actually it's funny, I keep on going back to my daughter, but she lives in Australia, but she's going to a French school because mm. I really believe that the content is okay, but it's the way, it's the methodology that needs changing, and I hope it will. It will take a few generations, but... In terms of the content in pedagogy or yeah. in terms of and the education system? Yeah. Peda- uh, what the pedagogy, I would say, in Australia, they try to be more Australian with their approach, which is mm. good. But it's the actual, you know, factual content of the education mm. I quite like and the exposure to all these artists and era and the Latin language mm. and all of that, that structure your mind in a certain way. Yeah, and I mean, language is so critical. It's... Yep. Um, the Austrian philosopher Ludwig von Wittgenstein, mm. you know, once said, "Whereof you cannot speak, you cannot think." Mm-hmm. And so, language—if mm-hmm. you don't have words for something—then yep. um, you can't actually imagine yep. the concept to the That's same true. same degree. Which mm-hmm. is, um, mm-hmm. I was then switched to, you know, examples to concretize that, you know, mm-hmm. that saying from Wittgenstein, which is, you know. Um, some great words in the English language that we've imported because there's so many other, you know, cultural concepts from other other parts of the world that, you know, um, that we import into the English language, whether it's like raison d'être mm-hmm. or like reason for being yeah. um, or, you know, schadenfreude from, from German, which is literally uh, the, um, the happiness in someone else's misery. Um, wow. And I spent time in Germany. I also went to a German-speaking <laughs> school in in, yeah. in Sweden. So I understand that yeah. part of the German culture is that you can and excuse this for you know all all the, yeah. all the German uh, viewers and listeners today. But there, you know there is a part of the the you know the Germanic culture that is you know where the concept of you know actually being happy in someone else's misery yeah. is a real thing. But yeah. in the English language, we had to import. Yes. Terminologies like yeah. that or raison d'être mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. from Swedish ombudsman, oh, which is a super bureaucratic word. Oh. Um, it's essentially an, an administrator in, in government. Uh, it's one of two Swedish words that have been imported into the English language. So it's ombudsman, which is essentially an administrator and a sort of a... I think administrator would be the closest oh, right. part yeah. who, who kind of monitors. So we have like an ombudsman for equality and egalitarianism mm-hmm. in, in, in Sweden. Okay. Um, ironically, that person, when they were uh, 
recently appointed and it was a as a man who was the ombudsman for equality in sweden oh. he got paid more than his female predecessor so that was oh. kind of interesting yeah. and then the swedish uh, second swedish word in the english language yeah. is uh smorgasbord which is um in sweden it li- literally means uh table of sandwiches and uh, and metaphorically here, I guess uh, you can talk about in English language a smorgasbord of ideas would be oh, like yeah. a random collection of you know ideas from yeah. this this that and the other. That's lovely, but that tells about the culture, right? Mm. The word encapsulate the the yeah the cultural background of these. And I guess that's you know that's where when two cultures meet at the sort yep. of intersection of in your case you know mm-hmm. French. And Australian culture, there can be that sort of, you know, creative or entrepreneurial spark. Yeah. And I guess, yeah. you know, I reflect on my own sort of entrepreneurial journey and, and, and the same thing, the Swedish-Australian, Australian-Swedish mm-hmm. is, is very much part of, of, um, of what I do. And, yeah. um, and uh, I think also Australia has a sense of, you know, providing some, some confidence that yeah. there is, a, you know, there's – it's a fertile soil or terroir for yeah. actually bringing new ideas to life. That's true. Yeah. Um, I know, you know, when I when I uh, when I've spent time with you, and also when we've you know digitally stalked you in our research, you, you talk about you know the the perfumerie de idée. Yes, parfum d'idée. Yes. And my French is not perfect, no, so but the the perfume of ideas yeah. is that is that yeah, how we would exactly. translate it? Yeah, and that's what. I felt was strong enough to start a candle brand was that my perfumes weren't about a rose bouquet or a vanilla and pear. It wasn't just flat fragrance. Mm. Uh, it was memories or concept. For instance, I've got a candle called Obscurité, Obscurity, and it smells like the dark side of Australia with burnt wood and cedar wood. And on the opposite side, I've got one called strangeness. You know, I don't think there was a candle before me that was called strangeness. So these are like concepts and concepts, ideas, ideas translate yeah. into, into a scent. perfume. Exactly. Yeah. Another one is called sainty, which literally means holiness. And this well smells um, like a thousand cut flowers because... Saint Teresa, that is the inspiration behind the candle, was the patron of florist. I mean, she still is. She will forever be from the Catholic uh, culture. And so it's the idea of, of holiness again. It's not just um, just a flower candle. Mm. Um, and then that's why also when I collaborate with brand to bring out their values, uh, we've got a candle coming. I don't know if I can speak about it yet, but uh, for Mother's Day, there will mm. be a candle based on the mix of botanical ingredients that a drink maker is doing in Melbourne, especially for us, and we're doing the echoing to what you'll have in your mouth. We're doing the 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 notes that will complete this perfectly with your nose. So again, it's the idea of um, synesthesia, which is the blurring of the senses mm. together. So wow. it's not just um, you know a pair. Yeah, <laughs> it's always very conceptual, and we I clearly mark the concept on the box because I want people to actually think about it as it burns, and to also an incense launching next week that you have to burn while you play Claude Debussy, um, Prelude à l'après-midi d'un faune, so wow. the prelude to the afternoon of a faune, because the music is the inspiration behind that incense. So, I mean, and, and I guess being surrounded by these influences and these impressions is something that can hopefully help the rest of us with our own creative mm-hmm. sparks, right? But I, I'm curious, where, where do you, is it memory? Is it, is, it, is it place? Is it, you know, the French terroir? Where, where do you get your inspirations from? Well, I think uh, that I've never actually got to an adult stage in my head. And I think my secret is to be actually a, a child inside. And like a child, nothing can stop my imagination. And I really truly believe that, let's say, that Caraf has got a personality. So I always draw them with legs and wings and they're flying. And so I think it's my view on things is very childish. And so by creating this product, I think they tap into the inner child of every adult that's mm. buying it. 
So I I don't know where it comes from. I just mm. think I'm still so still child. eight years of yeah. age yeah. in uh, yeah. a regular Sunday in exactly. yeah. in Languedoc Rosillon. Yeah, yeah, and that's why whatever come in my mind. Um, seems to be very I, I've actually written children books before and mm. that's my world I just love it wow yeah, yeah. I, I, I swim in it and I don't want to grow up <laughs> yeah yeah and so so what's kind of I know you won't grow up but mm -hmm. what 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 do you guys you know beyond Maison Balzac yeah. what what are you what are you investing your love and your creativity in at the moment and um, for the next few years yeah well the house is going to be a huge focus it's a 1950s wooden house on three levels with a pontoon and water access that uh, need our touch and our love i think it will take at least two to three years for the first time we're going to take it easy because we know we can do it but we want to pace ourselves because the last two projects showed us that the journey is as beautiful as the end result. Mm. So we want to really, you know, mindfully, step by step, enjoy the process of restoring the home. And it's funny because last week we sat down on the pontoon at night and Lulu turned around to us and said, you know, Papa, Mama, I never thought a house could make me so happy. Oh. And it's only the beginning. Mm. So, you know, we're going to nurture that and be a nest for the three of us. Um, yeah. yeah, that's nice. the focus. And I, and I mean, I think, you know, without trying to not use the term mindfulness here, yeah, but like, yeah. but when you've, you know, through the last hour, as yeah. we've been speaking, um, uh, you know, that, that sense of, you know, mindfulness to your, to your creative expression is really profound. Mm. Um, whether it's, you know, the senses, you, you know, you remember or the cadence to a day or, you know, noticing a, a sound, mm -hmm. something that's close, far away, and mm -hmm. you know, something that's sort of just white noise there in the middle is a, yeah. as you said, it's a actually way to ground ourselves in the in a present moment. Now, you know, the the tech side of me wants to capture all of that in an app. Yeah. Uh, but wow. um, you know. Uh, we're not going to do that. <laughs> Apparently, every entrepreneur needs their own mindfulness app now. But. Um, Awareness, you know, could be mm. an alternative word. It's just yeah. to be aware of what's around you. And I think, you know, when we when we had the opportunity to visit mm -hmm. you guys, it was it was so profound to see just see our son mm -hmm. being invited into Lulu's mm -hmm. world mm -hmm. of, you know, in Australia of, you know, mm -hmm. her finding crabs that yep low tide or the you know the mini zoo that she had yeah. created uh, and yes. um yeah. and it's i think a reminder to all of us as adults to to not just observe but sort of you know get back into exactly. that world as yeah. well Thank you for uh, for uh, generously giving of, of your time and energy and and, and life story uh, with all of us. I think there's uh, um, and and just bringing you know beauty and aesthetics and 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 your France to to the world with this little touches with little touches of Australia. And, I, and I'm and I'm yeah. you know I'm, I'm heartened to see that. You know the sort of you know the intersection of cultures can be such yeah. a you know birthplace of yeah. of, of great things. Mm -hmm. Well, thanks so much for having me. It was an absolute pleasure. I take so much away from every question you have asked me because it forced me to bring you know to the forefront of my mind why I do what I do. So it was a beautiful gift. Thank yeah, you. thank you very much. Thank you.